last decade, catastrophic floods, devastating fires, intensifying heat have all taken a physical and mental toll on people right across Australia. We pride ourselves on our love of a sunburnt country. However, over the last century, Australia has warmed an average of 1.47 degrees. Heat waves already cause more deaths than any other natural hazard in Australia and the health risks associated with heat exposure will increase as temperatures rise, as our population ages, and as more people live and work in urban centres. Australia has long dealt with bushfires, however, our changing climate has led to more severe weather days and major fire events, and their impact is devastating and far-reaching. That's Australia's Assistant Minister for Health and Aged Care, Jed Kearney, the member for Cooper, speaking at COP28 in Dubai. She was launching Australia's first, yes, Australia's first national health and climate strategy. Yes, welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. It's so great to have you on board. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Join me as we listen to the rest of what Australia's Assistant Minister for Health and Aged Care had to say when launching Australia's first, yes, Australia's first national health and climate strategy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for coming along. It's wonderful to see you here. I can recognise lots of faces and friends, old and new. My name is Jed Carney, as you heard. I'm the Assistant Minister for Health and Aged Care in Australia, and I'm so excited and absolutely delighted to be here alongside so many other nations from around the globe to address the impacts of climate change on health. I would like to extend my congratulations to the COP28 rather United Arab Emirates Presidency in collaboration with World Health Organisations and Partners for hosting the first ever Health Day. It's been wonderful so far and very exciting and a long time coming. I would like to thank in advance our wonderful panellists who've agreed to come along today um, and I hope they're going to say nice things about the strategy. Um, and I'd also um, like to acknowledge that I myself uh, live on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and I pay my respects to Elders past and present and I think our First Nations Ambassador, I just saw his missus come in so I'm sure he's there, <laughs> um, uh, is here and I'd like to thank him for coming along today, Justin. Um, I'm wearing a beautiful brooch today that is made by an Indigenous artist and the five feathers represent the five um, clans of the Kulin Nations and I want to thank them for their custodianship of the land on which I live and was born, the care they've taken of the land for over 60,000 years and of course keeping our waterways as fresh as possible and for the knowledge and the import that they provide to the climate debate, it's very important. I'd also like to acknowledge all the young people that have come along to COP. I understand there's over 100 Australian representatives here from our climate um, activists groups from right around the country. It's really wonderful that they are here making sure their voices are heard. In the last decade, catastrophic floods, devastating fires, intensifying heat 
have all taken a physical and mental toll on people right across Australia. We pride ourselves on our love of a sunburnt country. However, over the last century, Australia has warmed an average of 1.47 degrees. Heat waves already cause more deaths than any other natural hazard in Australia, and the health risks associated with heat exposure will increase as temperatures rise, as our population ages, and as more people live and work in urban centres. Australia has long dealt with bushfires, however, our changing climate has led to more severe weather days and major fire events, and their impact is devastating and far-reaching. Smoke from the devastating 2019 and 2020 Black Summer bushfires is estimated to have affected 80% of the Australian population and caused at least 417 premature deaths, more than 3,000 hospital admissions and more than 1,000 asthma emergency department presentations. People in Australia are also experiencing poor mental health due to the impacts of climate change and extreme events. And climate anxiety is real. In one study, more than half of Australians surveyed were very or fairly worried about these threats. And I'm acutely aware that this anxiety particularly affects our young people. The Australian Government recognises that there's an urgent need to address the health risks associated with climate change. On COP28's Health Day, I'm very proud to announce this Australian first. Today, I am releasing Australia's first national health and climate strategy. This is an important day. I want to thank everybody who helped pull this together, especially the department folk who are here today, who I know worked incredibly hard, um, the ambassadors here, um, to welcome this day. And uh, it's, I'm just so proud to be able to launch this at COP. For the individuals and communities whose health has already been negatively impacted by the crisis, for all the wonderful advocates who've been calling for this national strategy for so long, for health workers who've been calling for greater support to deal with the effects of climate change. For First Nations communities who generously shared their knowledge and wisdom with us. It's an important day for the continued global fight against climate change for the world today and generations into the future. This national strategy sets out an ambitious whole of government plan for addressing the health and wellbeing impacts of climate change. Before I go into some details about what is included, I thought I'd talk about the process by which we developed this national strategy. It's a product of the collaborative efforts and ambition of hundreds of dedicated individuals, organisations and experts, all who very generously provided input, feedback and expertise throughout the extensive consultation process we undertook. And many of them are in this room including the amazing Janine Mohammed from the Loicha Institute. I want to thank you for all your work and help. As we know, climate change has the potential to impact us all. And to effectively address the impact of climate change, we've got to work together. Over the past 12 months, we received over 270 written submissions from organisations and individuals across an amazingly diverse stakeholder landscape. 
Actually, I couldn't believe that when we announced we were doing a climate and health strategy, the number of people that were just there, ready, willing and able and biting at the bit, champing at the bit to get it done. This includes governments, health service providers, advocacy organisations, academics, manufacturers and health associations and colleges. We also held a total of 16 workshops and roundtables and targeted workshops for aged care, disability and primary care. These were held with over 300 attendees. The national strategy truly is a shared effort to address a collective problem. Importantly, the strategy draws from the strengths of First Nations cultures by ensuring that their views, their expertise, their traditional knowledge and ecological and economic values are incorporated. In Australia, we're so lucky to be home to the oldest continuous culture in the world. And it is key to our government that First Nations people are consulted on the issues that affect them. I'd like to thank everyone for contributing to the development of the national strategy and supporting us in managing health and climate change in Australia. We need everybody, we need everybody to be on board. So what are some of the key actions that you'll see coming out of the national strategy over the coming years? The strategy will inform and guide action by the health system aimed at protecting and promoting population health while adapting to climate change. It includes a national health vulnerability, capacity and adaptation assessment. And the assessment will inform the development of Australia's National Health Adaptation Plan as part of the society-wide National Adaptation Plan. Alongside this, we will aim to strengthen the health emergency response to climate-related disasters. The timing for this could not be more urgent. Back home in Australia, we are heading into summer when there is a strong threat of bushfires and high heat. Here, primary care will play a vital role. So ensuring continued access to health professionals, community pharmacies, reproductive health care or mental health support during times of emergency will be absolutely vital. In acknowledgement of the role the health system must play in addressing the climate crisis, the national strategy will guide the development of a plan to decarbonise the Australian health system. To do this, we will publish baseline emissions estimates for the health system, including aged care, with updates to track progress in reducing emissions. We will also develop a decarbonisation roadmap, taking the opportunity to build on the work of states and territories to set an ambitious strategic direction. The roadmap will be supported by new sustainability and climate resilience standards, as well as actions across all aspects of health service delivery, from promoting high quality clinical care and identifying emissions hotspots, to reducing emissions from our buildings, transport, and right across the supply chain. As we know, the effects of climate change are not bound to nation state borders. That's why a key part of the national strategy is focused around identifying opportunities for knowledge sharing and the development of international standards. For example, by collaborating with other jurisdictions to align procurement requirements and footprinting standards, we can achieve more rapid change, 
while at the same time minimising the burden on manufacturers and suppliers. Australia is also committed to supporting our neighbours to protect and promote health in their climate change responses. So in acknowledgement of these commitments, I was pleased to announce that Australia will join the Alliance for Transformative Action on Climate and Health. In this work, with the collective power of WHO members, states and other stakeholders to realise the ambitions set at COP26 to build climate resilient and sustainable health systems. As I've said throughout this, it is only through working together that we can ameliorate our world's climate and health challenges. We will also explore how our next nationally determined contributions can highlight our actions to reduce emissions and improve the climate resilience of the health system. Finally, a key objective of this national strategy, something that I'm particularly proud of, is to adopt a health in all policies approach, promoting the benefits of emissions reductions across society and adaptation action way beyond the health system. We will work with Australian states and territories to develop a national heat health action plan, promoting a nationally consistent approach to minimising the health impacts of heat. In partnership with First Nations communities, we will work to address the impacts of climate change on food security and the health of First Nations people. We will also work in partnership with the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Housing Association and with First Nations communities to promote the health benefits of climate resilient housing and affordable and reliable renewable energy. The National Health and Climate Strategy is the first of its kind in Australia. It represents an important initial step towards the continued advancement of, a cli of Australia's climate and health policy. It absolutely reaffirms the Australian Government's strong commitment to action on climate change. The strategy highlights a beginning and ahead of us lies the journey of delivering its ambitious program of work. I'm greatly looking forward to seeing what we can achieve when we work together, not only nationally, but globally across all nations. Thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Minister, and, and can I also personally say thank you for your stewardship um, of bringing this strategy together. I think we, um, we received endorsement from our state and territory um, health ministers in record time. I think they had about a week um, in, in order to, to be able to bring this and, and launch this today. Um, and your stewardship of this process has helped us navigate um, all of those relationships and the importance with our state and territory governments, the importance with our civil society um, advocates and the work that, that we as um, civil servants also undertake. So thank you. Um, our strategy sits inside a, a broader framework of action that Australia um, is taking in response to climate change. So it's my pleasure now to introduce um, Kushla Munro, who is the first Assistant Secretary of the International Climate and Energy um, Division within the Australian Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water. And I also pass my thanks on to colleagues in DECU who also assisted us in the development um, of the strategy. Kushla.
Uh, thank you, Helen, for those very kind words. And um, just before I begin, I, I also just want to acknowledge um, the Minister for Vanuatu for Health, um, who's with us today. Um, and obviously, um, for everyone who's turned out, I always find um, when we, and we are so lucky to have you here, Minister, to launch uh, the strategy with us, because I really do think it just exemplifies um, what we can do when we're at our best. And that, that drive, the energy, the leadership um, is just, it's just not, it's how you feel about things sometimes. And I think we, we're feeling good today, so thank you. Um, as, as I guess my role here is to try to better explain what's happening in Australia. Um, the, the, big, the big target that we have set ourselves is 43% reduction by 2030. And this is a question of being both amb ambitious and practical. Um, big things that we're doing like uh, transforming our electricity grids to run on 82% renewables, putting in the regulations across um, our biggest emitters to get them on track to, to also those targets and net zero by 2050 have just sort of been incredibly, um, you know, their policy work is hard um, and getting that agreement and being able to drive that is, is even harder. So I think in, in that context, um, the, the national health uh, strategy, and so I think people have got a, a copy of this um, on, on their chairs. It's, it's a really significant document. Um, and I think as the minister was saying, you know, it, it picks up, you know, how do you work with states? How do you work with uh, workers? How do you work with the community to help actually meet these targets? And the other part, which we know, and I, I think if Minister Bowen was here, he'd be talking about, this isn't just for governments to do, this is a whole of society effort. And so I do think that the work um, that um, our colleagues in the Department of Health and obviously uh, with the Minister have been leading on is, is just so significant. Um, and so the government is going to continue uh, with this work and sometimes that detail and engagement really matters. And so there'll be a series of sectoral plans. So there'll be six sectoral plans um, and this covers electricity and energy, industry, resources, the built environment, agriculture and land, as well as the transport sectors. And again, um, I really do hope that what we, um, what, what the work that is in this strategy will actually be an exemplar for others to follow. Um, one thing which I was really struck by when I was uh, reading the plan as well is um, just that intent of, of follow through and the detail in it. And again, um, the way that you do that, enabling others, but particularly uh, First Nations, really struck me as just such an excellent example for us all. So I don't want to take up too much space. I want to hear from the other uh, health experts that we have on our panel. Um, but again, um, thank you. Thank you, Minister. And thank you all for coming to the Australian Pavilion today. Thank you, Kushla. Um, it's now my pleasure to introduce Sally Edwards, the coordinator of the Health and the Environment Division 
of health, healthy environments and populations um, with the World Health Organization in the Western Pacific Regional Office. And of course, uh, you heard the minister talk about the importance of this strategy as well in terms of the region. So Australia does not stand alone. We have obligations to work within our region as well. Um, and we're, we're a player in the broader global effort um, to respond to climate change. Sally. Thank you very much and good afternoon, everybody. It's really an honour and a pleasure for me to stand here and for WHO to be included in this monumental launch of such a great strategy, but also in Health Day, the first really historic day for, for all of us here today. WHO's been working in the space of climate change and health for over 30 years now. Um, and today, I think, really, we're feeling acknowledgement of some of that work as it's taking a more centre stage. As, as we have strived to really work towards making climate resilient health, we focus on three main areas, strengthening climate resilience and environmental sustainability of health systems as well as facilities addressing a wide range of health impacts of climate change, many of which we heard mentioned as affecting Australia, promoting the health co-benefits of climate change mitigation in other actions. WHO's contribution, amongst other things, is around evidence and monitoring, so tracking the global progress, setting research agendas, and accessible knowledge on risks and responses to the climate change and health crisis. Leadership, raising political ambition, mobilizing health voices for climate action, all of which has come, culminated in today. And also the promoting of a low carbon sustainable WHO. So not only talking the talk externally, but also looking internally as we strive towards trying to reduce and do less harm. And country support. We are a, a people and country-centered organization. Our work all focuses on our support to our member states and to strive going, providing technical guidance and training, delivery in countries, implementing projects and supporting member states, and also mobilizing resources and partnerships. With the recognition of the carbon footprint of the health system being over 5% of global greenhouse gas emissions, we've recently launched a new operational framework on resilient and low carbon health systems, recognizing this. WHO also highlighting the importance of developing healthcare facilities that are climate resilient and environmentally sustainable in recognition of the ability of achieving, the, excuse me, the inability of achieving universal health coverage unless we provide basic services and, and um, access to those health services before, during, and after emergencies. WIPRO, the Western Pacific Regional Office in which um, Australia sits within the WHO regional grouping. In 2017, 
had a ministerial endorsed regional framework for action on health in a changing planet, building on the global strategy on environmental and, uh, excuse me, on environment and health. This led to the creation of the WHO Asia Pacific Center for Environment and Health, which is physically based in Seoul, Korea, and of climate change, environment and health being prioritized as one of the four main areas of action for WHO in the Western Pacific region. The Alliance for Transformative Action on Climate and Health now with over 79 countries committed to building climate resilient health systems and sustainable low carbon health systems. As mentioned, we're deeply, deeply happy um, that Australia signed on and committed to the attach um, community uh, um, um, a month or so ago. I can't remember exactly when this, but it's really a delight for WHO that Australia has joined us in Attach. And this strategy and also the, the other documents mentioned the vulnerability and adaptation assessment that was done and the new upcoming um, adaptation plan for the health system are all really essential components of commitment one of Attach. And as we move forward, I was so happy to hear in the presentation that it's that health needs to remain as the center of um, an all of government approach to addressing the climate change and health strategy. So thank you and thank you for having us in this really important day. Thank you, Sally. Uh, when we were developing our, our strategy and in the early days, we looked to many of our colleagues and friends um, internationally and what we could learn from them. And we actually owe a, a big uh, um, round of thanks to uh, the National Health Service of the UK who allowed us to um, recruit a couple of their stars, uh, in particular Dr Madeleine Skellen and Dr Alice McGushan, and it's great to have them as part of our team going forward. Um, and with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Professor Nick Watts, who's the Director of the Centre for Sustainable Medicine um, with the National University of Singapore, um, but also the Chief Sustainability Officer of NHS England. Thanks, Nick. Okay. Everyone can hear me? A few clarifications firstly. Importantly, that man there, right at the back, he can put his hand up, Chris Gormley, is the Chief Sustainability Officer for the NHS. He is driving change forward in the United Kingdom. Secondly, we were not happy that you stole Maddie and Alice from us. But it is damn good to see the change, the action that is happening in Australia. It is damn exciting. First, there was one health system running at this change, and I mean running. Then there were two, then five. Now an entire army of healthcare systems, of health professionals, 56 million of us running at climate change. You've seen what happens when the health profession engages, when the health profession wakes up, when it mobilizes. We've seen the health response over the last three years to a global pandemic. The health profession moves mountains like nothing else. 
as this army starts to shift from the world of advocacy, from the world of talking about talking about talking, and into the real world of delivery of implementation, I think there are three things we are all going to learn together. Number one, that myth out there that the health response to climate change costs too much money, it is nonsense. It is utter nonsense. You can act, if you are a healthcare system, you can act on 78% of your full emissions profile with no significant additional capital pressure, none. It's a question of where we deliver care, how we deliver care, how we work with our patients to provide the best care as they move through the system. It's a question of choices. There is a small capital pressure. It's for the remaining sort of 18%, 22% or so of those emissions. The good news there is that if you take a look around the world at the healthcare systems as they have responded to climate change, for the average dollar that they invest, they get a return on investment of 3.6 years. This stuff pays for itself like almost nothing else. Almost nothing in healthcare has an ROI like that. We are just talking about good common sense energy efficiency measures. We are talking about measures to reduce air pollution that reduce the health bill out the other side. We are talking about engaging in, in providing high value care, high value medicine, not this low value nonsense. Number two, there's a couple of studies out there now. The average, I reckon, is if you go out and you ask health professionals across the world, hey, what do you guys care about? What do you want to see our hospital, our clinic, our healthcare system do more of? 91% of clinicians shout back at you. It's about time you asked, I want to work for a healthcare system that is living up to my own values. I want to work for a healthcare system that is directly tackling climate change. I signed an oath, first do no harm. Help me live up to that. Number three, my third thing, and then I promise I'll stop and I apologize for everyone's eardrums. Thankfully, it's a mostly Australian audience, so I don't have to apologize for my accent. <laughs> Number three, you will find that the quality of care that we deliver to our patients increases. You will find that we are becoming more thoughtful about the ways that we engage in 21st century illnesses across healthcare systems. You will find that we are providing more choice to our patients about where their care is delivered, about how their care is delivered. You will find that the quality of care drastically increases as we decarbonize. As we move from advocacy into implementation, into the real-world work of delivery, we're going to learn those three things. But there's a lesson out the other side there as well for people that get left behind. First there was one, then five, now an entire army of healthcare systems running at this. Read the strategy. It is a damn good strategy. It moves beyond the platitudes, the high-level nonsense. It moves into the cold reality of precisely what are we going to do about this at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. The final thing I think we're going to learn, and I don't think it's going to be learned by Australia, I don't think it's going to be learned by the United Kingdom, it's not going to be learned by the healthcare systems that are already running at this challenge. The final thing we're going to learn is that this transition is now inevitable. It's not a question of is it fun, is it positive, is it something additional you can add 
to your healthcare system. This is now the inevitable future of medicine, the inevitable future of what it means to be a good nurse, a good doctor, a good pharmacist, the inevitable future of high quality healthcare in Australia, in the region, and the whole way around the world. So thank you. Thank you for everything you guys have done. It's damn impressive. quite sure how to follow that. Thanks, Nick. Um, so look, thank you everyone for taking the time to join um, with us here today. Can I ask you to put your hands together again um, for our fabulous panel and particularly our minister. It is wonderful to be here um, at COP with a particular focus on this health day. That was the launch of Australia's first national health and climate strategy. And now we have a story from the conversation with the headline COP28, the Climate Summit's first health day, points to what needs to change in NZ. And the story is by Alistair Woodward, who is a professor in the School of Population Health at the University of Auckland. The story begins. Climate change has many effects, but one of the most significant will feature for the first time at COP28 its impact on human health. Now underway in Dubai, the latest conference of the parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change includes a day dedicated to human health and climate action. Taking place on December 3, it will be attended by a record number of health ministers from many governments. Health Day is a big deal. Health is, or should be, at the centre of climate policy. Nations do not progress if the health of their population falls. We also know climate change is a serious threat to good health. The number of heat-related deaths among people over 65 and over has increased by 70% worldwide. Rising temperatures and the displacement of millions of people by floods and fires may amplify the spread of significant infectious diseases such as dengue and cholera. Yes, we're at the end of another episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. Now, I'd love you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. Also, I'd love to know what you think about this podcast, so you can contact me via email at number 7 at icloud.com. Now, don't hold back. Tell me what you think, good or bad. Please let me know. Also, I'd love you to share this with your friends. In fact, I almost insist you would share it with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. So, until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now you stay safe, and please take care. <laughs>